So uh, today uh, we're going to be talking about Romans 6, but I wanted to tell you a little bit about myself. I am the oldest of nine kids. I am not a parent yet, but I often took care of my siblings. And I loved my siblings to death, but oftentimes they would be extremely frustrating, especially when every one of them decided that dropping their sippy cup was a game. And uh, I'll use my sister Caitlin as an example. So she would be, she would be sitting in her high chair, and I'd be, and I'd be feeding her, and she'd be drinking her, 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 her out of her sippy cup, and then she would look at me with this sly look, and put her sippy cup over the table, or over her high chair, and drop it. And then she'd point at it, like, uh-oh, what did I do? Get it for me. And then I would bend down and pick it up. And as soon as I would pick it up, she'd look at it again, pick it up, and drop it on the other side. And I would bend down and pick it up again. And she would laugh at her, her own cleverness. But, but, Eventually, I would get frustrated, and I would stop getting her the sippy cup. And so then, she, part of the game is she would cry and complain until I did it again. And it was frustrating because she was using my kindness as an excuse to continue making the same mistake. It was the conundrum of the sippy cup game. And in the book of Romans, the good news that we've been talking about for months raises a similar conundrum. You see, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Romans, has been arguing that everyone on earth is sinful and unrighteous. We not only make mistakes, but we purposely do wicked things, and we are under the judgment of God. But God provided a Savior. He sent Jesus to live a perfect life that we and die on the cross, taking punishment, and then he rose from the dead. So that when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, his forgiveness is given to us, and we were brought into the family of God. This is such great news, family, that in Romans 5, Paul says that where sin abounds, grace abounded all the more. So that no matter how high the mountain of your wickedness is, his grace is even more than that. But this is exactly where we see the conundrum. Because if God's grace and forgiveness is freely given when we have faith and repent, and there's no more judgment, there's no more hell in front of us, doesn't that give us an excuse to continue sinning? We have our get-out-of-hell-free card, after all. And on top of that, if, if God's grace is shown to be more powerful, the greater the sin that is forgiven, shouldn't we go on sinning that God's grace can be on display? Paul knew that we would ask that question. It's the wrong question, but we all ask it. And so what we will find in our passage today is that when you have received the forgiveness of Jesus, you cannot continue living in sin because when you enter the story of, of Jesus' life, you leave the slavery of sin. So join me as, as we read Romans 6. 
And, uh, and, and whether you're at home uh, or just streaming this from your phone, I want you to stand up and, and read the scripture with me out of respect for God's word. That's going to be Romans 6, verses 1 through 14. That's Romans 6, 1 through 14. This is the word of the Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Amen. Right away, Paul addresses the question in verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And here's his answer. By no means. In the Greek, that word is meganoita, meaning may it never be. It is no in the strongest possible terms. And the reason he gives in verse 2 is how can we who died to sin still live in it? You cannot continue to live in sin because there has been a death. Continuing in sin is not just to sin on occasion, but to continue living a lifestyle that is characterized by sin. It is sin where all your habits are tainted with it. It's when you feed and give in to your, your anger at every impulse. It's when you lie whenever it is convenient for you. It's when you nonchalantly gaze with lust at every man or woman that catches your attention at the store, on your TV, or on your phone. Continuing in sin is allowing sin to dictate your life story. And what this is saying is that you can't continue to do that because you have died to it. Now, we're going to talk about what that, what that means. So look with me here in, in Romans 3. It says, 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So you may ask, how did this death occur? Because I'm still alive, I'm breathing, you'd think you'd remember dying, right? Well, what this is saying is those who have put their faith in Jesus have been baptized into Jesus' death. Now, that word baptism in the Greek means to be dipped or immersed or covered in. It's the same word that's used when a, a ship sinks to the bottom of the ocean. So if you have been baptized into Christ Jesus, you have been baptized or completely covered up in his death. And that has extreme meaning for you because in, in verse 4 it says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, the righteousness of life. But we were baptized into death, our own death. So you are, when your life story becomes characterized by the death of Jesus, you die. When Jesus died physically on the cross, you died spiritually to your relationship with sin. And you cannot continue to live like that never happened. Now, when and how did this death ha happen? Well, I want to draw your attention back to verse 3. Because it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And in verse 4 it says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. This is referring to water baptism. You see, in Matthew 28... One of the last commands that Jesus gave his disciples was that all who wanted to become followers of Jesus were to express that faith by being baptized in water, dunked and brought back out in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And, this, and he uses this as a reference point because in the Bible and in the first few years of the church, anytime someone wanted to become a follower of Jesus— and the desire to, to, to follow Christ, what they would do is be baptized immediately. Now, we could talk all day, like a full sermon on baptism. So uh, I don't want to go too far into this, but I do want to point out something here. Does that mean that when you are baptized, you are automatically forgiven of your sins? No, there's no magic in the water. What 1 Peter 3.21 says is that baptism is an appeal for a clean conscience. It is a prayer. It's a request. It's, it's, it's a prayer that the Lord would cleanse you of your sins and bring you freedom. But it's not a prayer with words. It's a prayer with your body. It's a prayer that you do with your whole being. Because when someone decides to be baptized, what they're, what they're doing is they're going under the water to symbolize Christ's death and, uh, death and burial. And they're coming out of the water symbolizing his resurrection. It's a prayer that says, 
Jesus, I want the full story of your life to be my story. And when that prayer with your body is done in faith, God answers that prayer. Now, some of you have already put your faith in Jesus, and you've already expressed that faith, but you have not been baptized. And so maybe you're reading this passage and you're saying, well, if baptism is when I die to sin and when I am buried with Christ, does that mean that I'm still alive to sin or that I have not been buried with Christ? No, because that would contradict everything that we've talked about for months in the book of Romans before us. But what we see here is he uses this as a reference point because this is the time uh, back, back then that people would first express their faith. So, so if you've expressed your faith in Jesus, everything in this passage that it says of you is true. Let me put it this way. Think of baptism as a funeral because it says right here in verse 4, we were buried therefore with him through baptism. And what happens at the end of a funeral? A body gets buried. You, you bury someone as a remembrance of a life that has ended. And when we're, when we're baptizing, when, when someone is baptized, we are remembering that their story with sin is ended, the old person is dead, and their story with God has begun. Baptism is both a funeral and a wedding. It is both a wake and a baby shower. And so, yeah, you have died to, your, you've died to sin and you are alive to Christ now if you've put your faith in Jesus. But get baptized. It's commanded. And nobody likes a dead body lying around. That body needs to be buried. And, uh, but, but I want to remind everyone, if you have put your faith in Jesus, whether you've been baptized or not, you have made the story of Jesus your life story. And when, you, when your life story enters the life story of Jesus, you leave the slavery of sin. And the, it's described in more detail here in verse 5. Verse 5 says, For if, we've been baptized, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is nothing less than complete union with Christ. There's no part of his life that you don't then become united to. So that sin no longer dictates the pattern of your life. Jesus does. You see, sin was a slaver and a tyrant. I was a slave and captive to it. And whatever I did was only what sin allowed me to do. My personality, my identity, my relationships were directed by sin. Sin is the slaver inside of all of us that drives us to self-destruction. It's the voice that not just whispers but yells in your ear that you are worthless, you are useless, uh, and you might as well give up. And if you listen to that voice long enough, you might even take it. Or it's the voice that continues telling you that you are better than everyone else around you. 
and that their feelings don't matter as much as yours. But here's the thing. Sin is way more devious than just corrupting you or I. Sin corrupts cultures. It builds foundations for systems of injustice. It has built a fortress of hundreds of lawyers and laws that defend the killing of 600,000 babies in the womb every single year. So that no matter how many times someone assails it, it still has not been defeated. It builds systems of injustice that allow Brock Turner, a white Stanford University student who served three months for three counts of sexual assault, where hundreds of thousands of blacks and Hispanics served disproportionately in prison for years. This is nothing less than than our original sin festering all around us. Sin's chains are strong. They are greatly entangled. And you will not escape it on your own. But that's where verse 6 comes in. Read, read me. As we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that you would no longer be enslaved to sin. What this passage is saying is that when you die with Christ through faith, you are no longer a slave. The tyrant no longer has any power. And the body of sin that used to serve the dominion of sin, which is your whole being, has been killed by the slaughter of another. And that's really important because see what verse 7 says. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now think about that. We have all had a slaver who the only way that you could escape him is the grave. And even then, sin is the one still dictating your destiny because you face an eternity in hell. But that's done with now. Because verse 8 says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So someone died taking your place. And because you died with him, we know that you will also live with him if you put your faith in Jesus. And that death, that, that separation between your relationship with sin and where you are now is eternal. It's binding. So when we, when we get to, um, when we get to, to verse 10, we see the story that you've now been joined with. Because your story is no longer the story of the sin, it's the story of the life of Jesus. So read with me verse 9 through 10. 9 says, We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lived, he lives, he lives to God. This is talking about Jesus. And notice what it says. Here in verse, in that death no longer has dominion over him. At one point, death did have dominion over him. Sin had dominion over Jesus. Now, what does that mean that sin had dominion over Jesus? 
Well, let's first talk about what that can't mean. So Jesus took on the same chains that bound you and I. But he never obeyed the commands of sin. He never gave into its impulses, not once. What we see in Hebrews 4.15 in another part of the Bible, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, Jesus, when we're talking about the dominion that sin had over him, the weakness that he experienced against sin, we are not talking about sin because he didn't sin. We are talking about the fact that he was tempted in every way just like us. So he relates. On top of that, he had to do endure the consequence of our sin. He tasted disease. He knew sadness and depression. He saw the death of his family and his friends. All aspects of human experience he experienced. And sin didn't just tempt him on occasion. It poured out all its dominion on him. Let, let me give you an illustration. Think about the, uh, this trend that we see on YouTube and on social media where um, it, it's the, the snack challenge where you put like candy or a fruit snack or a marshmallow in front of your kids and then you tell them not to eat it until you get back and you leave for a couple of minutes and then you come back, but it's filmed the whole time so you get to see what your kids do. Now, oftentimes what we see happen is the kids hold out and they're poking it, they're trying to distract themselves, they close their eyes, or they just give in and they eat it. But it's funny because we know the temptation that they're feeling. But it's so silly because it's such a small thing. That's exactly what our resistance to temptation is in comparison to Jesus. Because sin will only tempt you just enough to get you to, 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 to disobey, to cross that barrier. And we, we attempt to resist, but oftentimes we give in. But with Jesus... Sin had to pour out its entire arsenal on him. It's like the U.S. military. We have never had to see the U.S. military unleash the, the full potential of its arsenal. We have 1.3 million soldiers, and we have 1,634 1, nuclear weapons. Can you imagine if we unleashed our whole arsenal against someone? We would destroy the whole earth multiple times over. With Jesus, sin released its whole arsenal on him, and it failed. And when nothing of its weapons could work, it did the one thing that it could do, and, it, and, and through its reign over, over sinful men, it led the Romans and the people, uh, the people of Jerusalem to kill Jesus. But even then after all of its weapons had been exhausted, Jesus rose from the dead, righteous and resurrected. Our king is alive. The liberator has arrived. And those chains that bound have been broken. And when you are united to that story by faith, 
all of his accomplishments, all of his victories, you get to join into. So that the story of sin has been completely destroyed in your life, and there's a new story, a story of victory. And when you obey, the, when you obey God, you are participating and reenacting the power of Christ. Now, here's the question, though. If that is all true, why do Christians continue to sin, sometimes habitually? Well, here's an important reality that you need to understand. In this passage, it says that if you've put your faith in Jesus, you died. Sin didn't die. Sin is still alive and well and reigning throughout the world, corrupting beings. And sin loves to shake broken chains in front of you and make you think that you're still on a leash. But family, I don't see any chains on these wrists. There's no leash pulling you anymore. You have been freed by Christ. And your problem is not a problem of position. It's a problem of perception. And that's where we get verse 11 because it says, So you also, speaking to the Christian, must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must consider. You must acknowledge. You must believe that you are dead to sin. It is a problem of perception. It is a perception of your relationship with sin because it's done. On top of that, what you are doing is you are not only believing that the story of Jesus is true, you are believing that the story of Jesus is true for you. And that leads us to verse 12, 12, 13, 12 and 13, where it says, Let not sin therefore your mortal body to make you obey. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members Do not let sin continue to act like it reigns over you. Because you have been liberated. Do not present yourself to unrighteousness to the very thing that you were freed from. Do not engage in the temptation to go back to slavery. That's been abolished for you. And when it says that do not present your members, that word members refers to your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hands, all of your being, including your will and your mind. Your whole being is a member here. And when it talks about that, that, uh, that actual word in the Greek often refers to weapons of war. So you are a weapon of war, family. And don't present yourself as a weapon to be used by sin anymore. But to God for righteousness. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how sharp of a weapon you are. It matters who wields you. And Jesus is the one who should wield the story of your life. And when he wields you, it's no longer the good works that you do, but the good works that God does through you. You see, when you present yourself to God for righteousness sake, it is not a work. It leads to works. But it is not a work. Because when you consider yourself dead to sin, you are exhibiting faith as belief. 
But when you present your, your members to God for righteousness sake, you are exhibiting faith as trust because you are trusting God that he will use you for good things. When you thought you were a broom, he'll turn you into a sword. When you thought you were a dishwasher, he will turn you into a spear. What you're doing is you're praying. You, you are, when you're presenting yourself, you are saying to God, Lord, in my own strength, I have been unable to do the righteousness that you have required. Today, Lord, I am entrusting myself to you, and I am saying that when, when I step out in faith, you will meet me with your strength. When you take a step of faith in obedience, you are trusting that Jesus will meet you with his righteous works. So that you are not only righteous legally by faith, but you walk in righteousness by faith. That's the key here. This is what it looks like. It looks like getting off of your phone, no longer browsing pornography, and building intimacy, emotional intimacy with your wife. It means trying for the hundredth time to do devotions with your family, getting in the word with your kids and praying with them. It, it means calling people out at work and your friends when they use racist or sexist jokes, even if you've made those jokes in the past. It means controlling your finances, paying off your debts, and intentionally limiting your spending so that you can live within the great design of God for your finances and increase your generosity. It's doing things that you've tried thousands of times to do but doing it this time in God's strength through faith. So what I want to leave you with, family, is when you are baptized and immersed into the reality of the death of Jesus and his resurrection on your behalf, you leave the slavery of sin. Verse 14 says, Let not sin therefore obey its passions. Believe that the story of Jesus is true for you. And present yourself to do for, for righteous works and know that he will meet them and he will do greater with your willingness than you could ever do on your own. And if I'm talking to you right now and you have never been a follower of Jesus and you know the slavery of sin, you know the impulses that you give into and the fact that your story has completely been dictated by the, by the story that sin is told over you, your liberator is here. There is a greater story, greater than any, any story that you could ever tell, bigger than all of us. And you access that story by faith. Freedom is free by faith because he did all the work. So I encourage you to embrace that here today. Pray with me, fam. Father God, Please bring freedom here today, God. Lord, we're done with slavery. And we embrace our liberator. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the, the faith to consider ourselves dead to sin and that we would present 
all of our being to you for your own righteousness. And Jesus, thank you for doing what we never could so that we could embrace a story that we could never tell on our own. Thank you, God. We praise you, our King. And may your reign continue forever and ever. Amen. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we've been baptized with Christ. We have been united with Christ, and we no longer need to be under the bondage of sin. Well, church family, I just want to remind you as we close this live stream uh, to connect with us. There's a connect card uh, there in the chat. Uh, feel free to fill it out and let us know how we could be praying for you throughout this week. If it's your first time, again, um, using this live stream, we want to get to know you a little bit more um, and also update you on what we're doing as a church. Um, and then we also look forward to meeting here soon um, all together. So be on the lookout for our plans. Well, as we depart from this live stream, I just want to uh, give you this, this benediction from Numbers chapter 6. It says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. That's a promise given to us in Christ Jesus. And God bless you throughout the rest of this day and throughout your week. Peace out.